Welcome to the Grace Church Podcast, the audio ministry of Grace Church International. Today's sermon, Financial Stewardship, No Lack, No Want, as preached by Bishop Jonathan Alvarado, is based on the scripture Psalm 34, verses 9 and 10, which reads, O fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. And now, today's message. The text, the text that we read from today is a psalm that was penned in a controversial season in David's life. David was no stranger to controversy. David's Psalm 34 was penned in a time when David was serving Saul in the palace, but because of his military might and success, because of his musical prowess, and because of his charisma, Saul began to despise him. And so Saul uh, took uh, the posture of an adversary or enemy of David and ran him out literally and physically, out of the palace, out of the city, out of the region, and ultimately out of the country. David found himself in Philistia in the camp of his enemies, the Philistines. Now, you know, it, you got trouble and controversy when your best place of refuge is among your enemies. This is where David found himself. He found himself in Philistia who were the arch enemies of the children of Israel. Throughout the Old Testament narrative, it's always, and the Philistines came against Israel and they battled the Philistines here and they came against Samson, th- slew 3,000 Philistines with the job over and over that. It's this, this constant and ongoing struggle between Israel and Philistia and this is where David, who is now running from Saul, ends up. He ends up in Philistia and somebody recognizes him. So they send word to the king whose name was Achish. You may see it in your Bible as Abimelech. Abimelech is the title that means one who occupies the throne. But his name was Achish. Those names are used interchangeably in the text. So he finds himself now in front of the king because somebody saw David is in Philistia. He's a great man of war. Surely he has come to make war against the Philistines. They bring him now in front of Abimelech. And while he's there, y'all know what they do to spies in foreign territories? David is fearing for his life. David, standing there in front of Abimelech, is trying to figure out, how do I get out of this situation that I'm in? I'm in front of an enemy king with soldiers around me. They have apprehended and pursued me and brought me into the court of Abimelech the king and now I have to try to get out of this difficulty. Lord, where are you in this trouble that I'm in? And for those of you all that have read this account, it's familiar to you, but others of you may not have read it, so you have to check me out and make sure I'm telling you the truth, though I I am, I promise. Uh, The Bible records, Daryl, that David got in front of Abimelech 
and started playing crazy. Your Bible says David did all kinds of crazy stuff. He's acting like a nut, a man. Now, now listen, before I go further, further with this, I am not minimizing behavioral disorders, mental disorders of any kind of, any kind of way. I'm not marginalizing that. I'm not poking fun at that. Those are real issues and real concerns, and we have to have it's humans uh, uh, preserve human dignity and be able to provide human empathy for people that are dealing with those kind of concerns. No question about it. But you've got to see David, who is perfectly sound in his right mind, standing up in front of Abimelech trying to get out of it. And I, in my mind, I see see David and they're going and every time they ask him a question he's saying stuff like meet me on Tuesday Albuquerque looking up over his shoulder like the great gazoo is talking to him shh you be quiet while I'm talking to the king David played crazy David demonstrates to us that Sometimes you got to control your disposition based upon the circumstance you find yourself in to be able to survive the circumstance. The reason that some of y'all didn't survive the last encounter with the king in your life is because you couldn't control your disposition. David did what David needed to do to get through that circumstance. And I'm just after about 72 people today because there's about 72 of us in here that recognize that uh, when you are going through circumstances like that, you by, by example and by instruction, David encourages self-control and discipline disposition. David controlled his personality while in front of Abimelech. And David encourages us to muster the cardinal virtues necessary to make it through the circumstances in which we find ourselves. In other words, some of you are going to face some situations this week that are going to put you under pressure, going to put you under challenge and hardship, but I dare you to look right into the middle of that circumstance and that situation and control your disposition. The Bible says it's better for a man to be able to control his own spirit than to take a strong city. It takes more for you to control your attitude. If they're sad all around you, don't you fall into that trap. If everything is going crazy around you, don't you let the thing, the circumstance affect you. You be like David and you figure out what you need to do to manage the circumstance that you're entering into. Who am I preaching to in here today because somebody is about to enter into a circumstance on tomorrow or Tuesday or by Thursday you're going to be standing up in front you're going to have to manage your disposition you'd already gotten the promotion if you could have gotten your face together but you always twisting up your face every time something's wrong you would have already been married if you don't know how to talk to that man or that woman but every time something go wrong you go to yelling and screaming and throwing stuff if you know how to manage your disposition God's going to take you to a, a well place. God's going to take you to a rich place. God's going to put you in a situation whereby he can bless your life. David was in a tough situation, but he knew how to manage his disposition. And he says, this is what I want you to do. If you want to live in a place of no lack and no want, I want to give you some keys and some instructions along that wise. So when David was in Philistia and standing up before Abimelech, David began to play crazy and, uh, and it got him out of the circumstance and the situation where he was. Let me just say something to y'all. You got to learn how to do what you need to do. Every now and then, you got to, it's trite and it's, it's cliche, but I think it's important. You got to learn how to fake it till you make it. Every now and then, you got to look at a situation that the devil's trying to tell you is not going to work out. 
and you got to give God your best praise right in the middle of that situation because God has a way of turning things out. Let me just tell I'm only after about 72 people. So if this is for you, you receive it in Jesus' name. God told me to tell 72 of y'all, he's already working out behind the scenes what you can't see in front of the scenes. This is why you have to praise him now on this side because he's working on the other Touch somebody and say, he's at work on the other side. He's at, he's making a way where there seems to be no way. He's already working on the other side of this. Now, so David encourages us through both example and instruction, self-control, disciplined disposition. David controlled his personality while in front of Abimelech, David encourages us to muster the cardinal virtues in the face of difficulty. Those virtues are the fear of the Lord and seeking the Lord. Two cardinal virtues. Everybody say, fear the Lord, Lord. seek the Lord. Lord. See, when you want to move to a place in life where there's no lack and no want, these are two of the cardinal virtues. There are others, but David lists these specifically in this text that says, if you fear the Lord and you seek the Lord, that'll put you in a place of no lack and no want. He says in verse number nine, this is what we read. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. Saints should fear the Lord. This means to reverence the Lord, honor the Lord, respect the Lord, to stand in awe of the Lord. Here's one of the things I'm so concerned about for the contemporary church. The contemporary church does not know anything like the church we were raised in about respecting God's house, honoring God's presence. God can be moving and touching and ministering to people. And some people are sitting there with their legs crossed and they're looking all up in the space wondering when this time's going to end. Or people coming in, walking in and out while God is moving, while somebody's praying, while the scripture's being read. There's no fear of the Lord. No reverence, no respect, no awe. In his book, uh, the church come to its senses. Don Saliers addresses this notion that he says there are four senses that the church has to restore in the late 20th and going into the 21st century. And one of those senses is the sense of awe. Everybody say awe. It's a sense that says, God, you are so magnificent. I stand in awe of you knowing that you can do absolutely anything in my life. See, awe has the undertone of expectation. Will somebody say expectation? When I come in uh, and worship the God and worship him uh, with awe, I expect that he's going to do something miraculous and unprecedented in my life. I don't know who needs to hear it today, but unprecedented miracles and blessings can be your portion when you worship the God who is worthy of awe. He's not a God to be trifled with. He's an awesome God. It wasn't, see, see, there are some words that you need to sanctify in your vocabulary. 
We say a lot of stuff is awesome that ain't nowhere near awesome. I only use the words, I try only to use the word awesome when I'm talking about God. You know why? Because I sanctify certain words in my vocabulary. Because when I want to describe the God of the universe, the God that keeps the sun coming up every morning and the moon coming up every night, the God that keeps oxygen flowing in and out of my lungs, the God that wakes me up in the morning and starts me on my way, the God that I give credit for, for being able to have activity of my limbs and still being in my right mind. That's the only one that's awesome. The God that paid your rent when you didn't have a job. He's the only one that's awesome. The God that healed your body when the doctor said you had to die and could not live. He's the only one that's awesome. The one that gave you peace when everybody else was staying up all night and you were laid over sleep because God gave you peace in the midst of your storm. He's the only one that's, I dare you to shake somebody's hand and tell them he's the only one that's awesome and an awesome God deserves an awesome pray I need about 18 or 20 people to just give your awesome God an awesome praise saints should revere honor respect and stand in awe of our God. This is how we, the, uh, David says, fear the Lord. This is how we fear the Lord. The, re, the root definitions of the word fear that he uses in the Hebrew means to respect, to honor, to, to, to revere, or to stand in awe of. Then there's a secondary definition that means to pour out. Everybody say to pour out. This means, th this moves fear of the Lord from disposition to action. So not only do we fear the Lord dispositionally, but we fear the Lord with action and activity. See, it's not just a fear. We don't demonstrate the fear of the Lord when all we do is fear him dispositionally. Until that disposition translates to action, we haven't feared the Lord. You see, some of us can say that we're worshiping God in all, but until that becomes action, it's not the fear of the Lord. You see, precious dears, this is why we don't, we don't encourage people to worship God as an exercise in histrionics. We're not just looking for people to run around the sanctuary and emote. But the truth of the matter is, uh, there's no such thing as separating emotion from worship. I know some of y'all were oriented to a kind of uh, a Christianity that is all cerebral, that all we do is think about God, we just think about his goodness, and we offer him mental praise and mental assent. But I'd like to suggest to you today that the God that we serve transcends your mental capacities. Anybody that's ever had an encounter with God has some kind of solical and bodily response to the God that they say that they've encountered. Y'all don't like me, because all through the text of scripture, whenever anybody would really encounter God, they couldn't just sit there and mentally ascend unto his greatness and his goodness because when you've really had an encounter something gets in your hands and something gets on your feet and something gets in your heart and it's like fire shut up in your bones I need you to shake somebody's hand like you're going to shake it off and tell them what the old folk used to tell us when I was growing up everybody's got good religion ought to show some sign if you really love him, let me see how you love him. If you really glorify him, let me see how you glorify him. I'm not just talking. I need about 57 people to give God your best praise. Not in your head. Not in your
your heart but show me how much you love me. show me how you glorify me Jim show me how you feel about him because he's worthy To fear the Lord moves from disposition to action. This is why, precious dears, when it's time to stand up and sing, everybody ought to be standing. This is why we tell parents, make your children stand up in church. Orient them to the ways of God. Orient them to what it means to be a worshiper of God. So that way when they grow up and get in a crisis and need the God of the universe to come into their situation that they know how to call upon him for themselves. Now, David said, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord means to move from disposition to pouring out. This obviously connotes giving. Everybody say giving. It's an important because everybody say giving. Yeah. I told you I was preaching another installment on my series in church stewardship, biblical finance, uh, 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 ministry, how to support ministry and things of that nature. And one of the things that we need to understand is if you and I want to get to a place of no lack and no want, we have to follow the biblical mandate. The biblical mandate is to fear the Lord. That's in disposition and in action. That action is to pour out. That connotes giving, emptying out ourselves on the Lord and in the house of the Lord. Say amen, somebody. Now listen, David then instructs further on what the fear of the Lord is. I don't want you to think I made it up. Look down at verse number 11. He says, he says in the bottom of verse number 11, the B part clause, he says, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And he goes down there in verse 13. He says, oh, if, you, if you desire life, in verse number 12, you want to you learn, learn about the fear of the Lord. I'll tell you what it is. Here it is. Here's the first thing about the fear of the Lord. Watch your mouth. Look at your neighbor and tell him, that's your problem right there. There it is. Bishop done, Bishop done zeroed in on your problem. That's your problem right there. I was preaching at the Clayton Church. Clayton, Church. Clayton Saints wouldn't tell nobody it was that was their, your problem. They were looking at each other going, that's really my problem right there. That's... That's my problem. That's, that's, that's appropriate for some of us in here. Here's the thing. The text says to keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. When I was preaching the, uh, last week on this, the first installment that we made, I used the reference of, of Isaiah meeting God in the, in the temple. And when, God saw, when Isaiah saw God high and lifted up in this great vision that he had, this theophany that he had, you know, the, the text says the first thing that the angel of the Lord did it was get a hot coal from the, with tongs from the altar. And it came down, didn't touch his hands, trying to improve his, his productivity. Didn't touch his feet, trying to improve his walk. Didn't touch his mind, trying to improve his thinking. The first thing that the coal touched was his his mouth. Elbow your neighbor and say that's your problem right there. God wants to touch your mouth. The fear of the Lord involves your nasty mouth. The fear of the Lord, y'all don't like me because I tell the truth, involves your raggedy mouth. He 
He says, you got, in order to fear the Lord, you got to keep your tongue from evil. See, here's what I've come to discover, uh, Deacon Jerry. I've come to discover that though the Word of Faith movement did a number on the church for the last 40 years, one of the virtues, I'm trying to mine the things that are good that have happened as a result of that prosperity gospel and naming and claiming. All, we can't, can't take all of it. And I've been preaching. I've been trying to set the record straight. But when there's a good point, I need to bring it out. One of the things that the Word of Faith and prosperity gospel did is it taught us how to use our mouths to create our realities and here's the problem some of y'all have created the circumstance in which you're living right now by the fruit of your mouth the fear of the Lord David says starts with your mouth keep your mouth straight keep your tongue from evil stop talking nasty disparaging destructive words of, of, of envy and strife and malice against one another. Get your nasty mouth. Elbow somebody, kick them or punch them or bite them or do something and say, neighbor, get your nasty mouth together. <laughs> y'all ain't say it like I said it. Y'all must be scared of your neighbor. I told you I'm on 30. I ain't scared of none of y'all. Get your nasty gossiping, maligning mouth together your, your tail bearing mouth your gossiping mouth your liking mess too much mouth your Facebook, Instagram, Twitter mouth get your mouth keep your tongue from evil and keep your lips from speaking deceit and then he says depart verse 14 says depart from evil and do good. And ostensibly, he see, he see, to depart from evil ostensibly means to depart from evildoers. He says, I'm trying to teach you the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord starts with your mouth and secondly extends to your company. Let's kick your neighbor and tell him, I knew you was bad for me. Go on and tell him, I knew. <laughs> Keep from evil... Ostensibly means evildoers. See, you and I got to learn to occupy ourselves with works of righteousness. You and I, which, which means that the, the only way to occupy yourself with works of righteousness is to occupy yourself with people who are about righteous works. See, A. Maddie had an eighth grade education. She didn't go to seminary like I did. And A. Maddie only, she taught third grade down in Kentucky in the colored schools back in, 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 in the early 1900s. But I come to discover A. Maddie had plenty of sense because A. Maddie would say stuff like, birds of a feather flock together. I don't have to have your social security number. I don't have to do no background check. I don't have to go to your family reunion to figure out what kind of person you are. All I got to do is see the kind of people you like hanging around. All I got to do is see what feeds keep coming up on my timeline of the stuff that you like, the stuff you repost, the stuff you think is funny. It lets me know what kind of person you are, but by the company that you keep. Notice the text. I ain't make it up. The text says, depart from evil and do good. He presses it further. says, seek peace and pursue it. Let me just say something to y'all. I'm 53. I am too old to keep mess and messy people in my life. 
the reason that some of us are jacked up in our existence because we keep a whole lot of messiness around us. Do you not know? This is why I don't invite no mess. People just be coming talking to me about this. No, no, no. Listen, you have to decide. It is not noble to be either a garbage man or a garbage can. One carries the garbage, one receives the garbage. I've come to discover that you got to learn how to just keep messiness out of your life. Because let me tell you something about Jonathan Alvarado. I'm going to have peace. I'm not keeping mess around me because mess keeps up strife. It keeps up division. It makes it hard to live. You got to have tense, tense conversations. People, you got to avoid people with certain topics you can't talk about. People you don't want to be around. The devil is a liar. You've got to learn how to pursue. Everybody say pursue peace. Your life would be a lot better if you pursued peace and kept mess out of your circle. I've come to discover that messy people want to gravitate toward quality people because quality people validate their messy disposition. What do you mean, Bishop? I mean, mess only sounds plausible when it comes from a valuable source. I had somebody over the weekend try to be messy with me. And there was stuff, you know, nothing's perfect. So I walked into a situation and the situation was, was, was kind of jacked up. And uh, the, the leader of the situation came to me to talk to me about the situation. And one of the other leaders saw the leader talking to me. And so as soon as I got away from the leader that was talking to me about the jacked up situation, the other leader came to me and said, he mad about this, ain't he? I said, is he? <laughs> I didn't notice. What about, the, the, what about the so-and-so and so-and-so? I didn't have nothing to do with that. What you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. No, no, I don't know anything about that. You know why? Because he wanted legitimacy. Because the next time he told it, which would have been in three or four seconds, he would have been like, Bishop Alvarado said, he fired up mad about this. I wasn't going to get, no, no. That's why I stay away from mess. I, I seek to validate truth. You can't come to me with no, he said, she said, and who shot John? You can't come to me talking about, I'm going to tell you this, but I can't tell you who told me. Then don't tell me. Because if you're not willing, I, I don't read emails and letters that you don't sign your name to. If you ain't man or woman enough to sign your name to a letter, I need to write this anonymously because I don't want to get, no, the devil is a lie. You just want to be messy and unaccountable. But when somebody, if there's a real issue, you can stand up and be kind of, yeah, I said it. I saw you when you did it. I was right there. That's why I spoke it out. Because you were the one that was involved in the middle of the mess. You would be surprised how few people will bring you mess when you are one to expose it. The text says the way to, the way to operate in the fear of the Lord is to pursue peace. Now, here's the beautiful thing about peace, Dr. May. The beautiful thing about peace is, see, there are two biblical understandings of peace. The Greek understanding is the word irene, which, which translates, transliterates to the, to the English word irene. So, any of y'all got irenes in your life? If they're hellions, they're not living up to their name. <laughs> irene, irene in Greek means peace. And what it means is literally the cessation of storms. Okay? But the Hebrew word is shalom which connotes something significantly different than the Greek connotation of the word peace. This is in the Hebrew. It's the word shalom. And, 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 and in Hebrew, 
Peace means that there's nothing missing and nothing broken. Y'all missed a good place to get happy right there. Because when David says to pursue peace, what he's saying is the fear of the Lord puts you in a position to where nothing is missing and nothing is broken. I wonder what your life would look like if everything worked and everything was in place. I wonder what your life would look like if no uh, resource was missing and nothing was broken in your life. Is there anybody here besides me that's got some things that are missing? I need this to make this happen. I need this to pull this off or I need this to be repaired in order for this to be able to happen. I came to let somebody know when you fear the Lord and seek the Lord, God puts peace in your life and peace is that there's nothing missing and nothing broken. Who am I preaching to today? See, I want to get to the place in my life where everything I touch works. I want to get to the place in my life where there's resource every time I need it to show up. Y'all don't like this kind of preaching right here. But look down your whole row and tell them God's about to give you peace. Y'all didn't say it like I said it. Look down the other way and tell them God's about to give you peace. It's the kind of peace that passes all understanding. I know I got that right because it means that there's nothing going to be missing and nothing's going to be broken. The book says great peace of them that love thy law and nothing shall by any means offend them. I know I got that right because the Bible says that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I know I got that right because Jesus said blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God shake a neighbor's hand like you're gonna pull it out of socket and say neighbor God's about to give you peace nothing missing nothing broken everything in place everything lining up everything working out all things working together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Say peace, peace, say peace, oh peace. Now the text, the text, the text gives us a clue and an indication that peace must be pursued. In order to obtain peace, you got to chase it down. Which means you've got to quit chasing something else. If you're chasing status, you won't catch peace. If you're chasing notoriety, you won't catch peace. If you're chasing a man or a woman, you won't catch peace. But if you have peace, peace will attract all those things. Y'all don't like what I'm saying to you today. But I wonder if there's 27 people in here that know that when you have peace, good stuff is attracted in your life. When you walk in the peace of God, God has a way of making you a magnet that just attracts all the good things that you need. Is there anybody here besides me that needs to be just a little more magnetic? I came to prophesy to about 28 people to let you know that God's about to turn up the intensity of your magnet and draw into your life the things that you need in this season. As a matter of fact, there are only 114 days remaining in this year. And God told me to tell you that over the next 100 
in 14 days he's going to start drawing into your life the things that you need to be able to start 2020 in a significantly different position than you were in 2019 slap your neighbor high five and say neighbor oh neighbor when I get this peace down in my spirit it's going to draw everything I need in my life I'm getting ready to draw a new job I'm getting ready to draw a raise I'm getting ready to draw some new relationships I'm getting ready to draw a healing I'm getting ready to draw peace that passes all understanding say I say I say I now clap your hands and give him glory why in this season in my life I'm only interested in engaging with people whose primary interest is peace I'm pursuing peace y'all I ain't fighting with nobody I used to engage with people on Facebook with theological discussions until I found out it's unethical my mama used to tell me all the time you can't you can't, it's unethical for you to assault an unarmed man. And too many of y'all on Facebook want to have these deep theological discussions, but you ain't armed. And for me to engage in the dialogue is unethical and unscrupulous because my mama told me years ago, don't you fight that boy, he's unarmed. He is not your equal. There's no way in the world he can stand up and you leave that little boy alone. Don't you jump on that baby. I'm only interested in engaging with people who are interested in peace. I'm always concerned about people that say they want peace but hang out with people who keep up hell. David then further instructs us not only to fear the Lord but to seek the Lord. Everybody say seek the Lord. Get ready to start playing. I'm going to get, I'm going to get be, be, be done. Here, here the text says, in, in a biblical epistemology, y'all, seeking the Lord always involved offerings. Whenever a man or a woman would go to a prophet to seek the word of the Lord, they would always take an offering. Whenever a man or a woman would go before a king or a magistrate, they would not go empty-handed. So when David said, seek the Lord, the implication is, bring an offering. See, I've been trying to instruct you and teach you and help you understand that both our biblical understanding of the God we serve and our African substratum of our roots ought to teach us that God is the God that can be provoked. He can be moved. If you don't believe God can be moved, stop praying. The only reason we pray is because we believe God can be moved. See, when we seek the Lord, we fear the Lord, we are in reverence and respect and awe, and we pour out. When we seek the Lord, we come to him in ways and understandings that he appreciates 
that demonstrate our fidelity to Him. Our pursuit of God always involves, I'm teaching on finance, and I'm trying to help you understand how to get to a place where there's no lack and no want in your life. Too many of us have walked with the Lord for far too long and have continued to operate from a posture of God, wanting God to keep doing for us, and we have no provocation of God. We want miracles without prayer. We want resources without sacrifice. We want sustenance without the basic unit of faith, the tithe. And there are a few of us in this room that will testify as you receive testimony today that when you test God, he will do just what he said. As a matter of fact, he'll do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you can ask or think. That's what it means to seek the Lord. Whenever people sought kings or sought prophets or sought a word from the Lord or sought the Lord, that David said at the threshing floor of Arauna, I will not offer unto God that which cost me nothing. I can't just offer these implements of wood and these oxen and use this threshing floor without buying it from you, Arauna, because then my offering to God would be cheap because it cost me nothing. The result of fearing the Lord and seeking the Lord, David says, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those Young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. I just want to encourage somebody today to seek the Lord and to fear the Lord in a biblical way. And when you do, there will be, come on, say it with me, no lack, no want. Will you help me by putting down whatever devices you have in your hand, resting on your feet, lifting up your hands to the Lord, and just begin to proclaim, Lord, we seek you in this hour. Lord, we're coming to you with the disciples. Thank you for listening to today's message. The Grace Church Podcast is made possible by the generous support of people like you. Please consider a donation or monthly contribution which would go towards our ongoing mission of reaching and equipping people through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Directions on how to do that are in the podcast description. Thank you and God bless you in advance. For more information about what God is doing in the life of our church, visit our website at www.gracechurchintl.org. Likewise, download the GCI app, which is available for iPhone and Android devices. You can also find us on social media. Links to our YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram are in the podcast description. Well, our time is up. We thank you for yours. So until next time, God bless.